Ladies and gentlemen, you have made it to Brave to the Bone podcast, where we explore the dynamics of human courage in its most dynamic form, personal transformation. I am a nurse who left traditional Western medicine to explore the vast potential of healing that exists in our natural world. From psychic healers to psychedelic wellness, this is your source to your own human potential. This is your host, Tanya Gilbert. I am so excited to introduce to you Alex Corelli. Not only is she the founder of the Theta Soma Technique, an amazing subconscious journeying process to integrate traumatic experience through mindfulness, breath, and sound, but she is also the executive director at Shea Minds Healing Center in Sacramento, where a team of medical doctors and therapists are offering innovative ketamine-assisted therapy in tandem with Theta Soma sessions. She is such an amazing, honest, authentic, beautiful person. I am so excited for you to meet her. Enjoy. Alex, thank you so much for coming to the show. It is so amazing to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and the work that you do? Thank you so much for having me. I am really, really excited to be here this morning. So a little bit about me. I'm currently the executive director of a new psychedelic therapy center in Sacramento called Shamines, and we are offering ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, as well as holding a vision of creating like a really holistic health and wellness center, which I know is somewhat innovative in terms of like what's happening in the movement as a whole right now. A lot of people are, we're all really excited about the potential of psychedelics and working with them. Um, But where my passion really lies is in the way in which we can create a framework for holistic health and healing through like bridging the gap with conventional medicine. I'm partnered with two medical doctors We also are incorporating yoga, meditation, um, a technique that I do called Seda Soma. That's a somatic therapeutic technique that brings us on a subconscious journey through traumatic experiences, through memory and, you know, assists us in really shifting our relationship to our personal story and our personal narrative. We're incorporating narrative medicine, IV nutraceuticals. So like Myers cocktails, things like that, that you may have heard of. Well, can you tell us a little bit for the listeners, what is Myers cocktail? Oh, Myers cocktail is a combination of like B vitamins and minerals and, and all sorts of things that are just really good for your body. It's super hydrating. It's really good if you're sick or if your immune system is weak or low, um, or just general preventative care to make sure that you're getting all of the essential vitamins and minerals that you might be missing from your regular diet. It's interesting how our mental health will really reflect our immune system. Mm. Yeah, that's totally true. It's, I work with a couple doctors and we've like discussed this many different times about the relationship between our physical health and our mental health. And this is something that medicine is like slowly catching up to right now that these are linked. They're not separate. A lot of people are starting to talk more about the concepts of holism and how we incorporate mental health into the conventional healthcare system and the relationship between chronic disease and trauma and all of this. I think that if everybody, you know, listening can look back on times that they've gotten sick, it's like we, when we lose our ability to trust ourselves, nothing works, including our immune system. Yes. 100% are are working right there. Yeah. And it's like, um, one of the topics that we've discussed is the way in which our physical health and our mental health is linked. And we, it's really difficult to heal one without the other. And it's almost like this chicken and egg situation. Like which one do we approach first? Do we approach the physical health and address the physical symptoms or do we work on the emotional and mental health and create stability? So then we have the clarity and the peace of mind to be able to address the physical symptoms. And I don't know that we've really come up with, you know, a, like a solution or a perfect answer as to like which one we should approach first, which is why we're really passionate about like approaching the body and mind as a whole system and having the resources in place to be able to support people on all levels simultaneously. Because the fact of the matter is that different, like different files or different issues, I call them files when it's like mental health or emotional health, 
uh, are going to just sort of spring up when they're ready. You know, a symptom is going to come up when there's been enough accumulation of toxicity in the system that disease is going to manifest. And we don't know when exactly that's going to happen. That is incredible. Yeah. I have so many questions to ask you. And I really want to at some point get to your own personal story. Oh, that's that's a that's a big that's like a whole. So first, let's see. Okay, I love the idea that your whole business, you as a collective and these this model is. Can you tell me how who are the minds that got started in this frontier of um, looking at wellness as a whole and with um, using the sense of psychedelic therapy because it's just this blossom and it's so beautiful and I'm so proud for the activism and work that you guys have done collectively. The way that I ended up with Shamines and that we all came together is pretty cool. Uh, we were connected through a mutual friend, Dr. Drew Factor, who is an internal medicine physician in Sacramento. He's amazing. He's a total like bridge builder, bridge walker, always connecting people, like just a very magical human, really passionate about ACEs and the effects of toxic stress on our health. He works in the conventional med medical system in FQHC in Sacramento. And he connected me. He knew that I was interested in psychedelics and was getting more and more into that in my work. Uh, he met me through Theta Soma and Yoga Seed, which are two other projects that are all kind of integrated. But he connected me with Dr. Tasneem Khan and her sister, Dr. Alia Ahmed. And these two women are absolutely superpower. They're two sisters. They really have just... They've both been working in medicine for about 20 years, I want to say, over 20 years. And they've always throughout their careers been trying to like push the envelope on how they're able to offer more holistic care to their patients and their clients. And one of their other sisters, Fauzia, began to get involved in plant medicine and psychedelics. And so they started to dip their toes in this world and see the potential and understand the potential. So I want to say it was about a year ago that Shamines was born. And then just this past October, Dr. Drew Factor connected me with Dr. Khan and Dr. Ahmed. And yeah, it was kind of just love at first sight with all of us. And they came up to Nevada City and met me and learned about what I was doing and basically recruited me to come and run their center. Wow. Well, I just want to just take a moment to commend all the medical professionals that are learning as much as they can in this world right now, no matter where they're coming from, the mental health aspect or more of the medical model. It takes that community to continue to encourage people forward. There's so much, um, as a nurse myself and um, someone who studies the, the studies that are coming out, there's a lot of negativity that will sometimes surface. There's a lot of um, people that don't understand how it works and just really want to dump on it. So this is a sea of navigation that people really have to wade, wade through. And it is mm. it comes from a place of passion. Yeah, 100%. I've seen that particularly with my friend, Dr. Drew Factor, and how much resistance he has come up against, even with talking about something like ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, which is actually pretty popularized in California, you know, because it's been so like pushed forward by Nadine Burke Harris, but within the conventional medical systems that he has functioned in, when he tries to push that information or support that information in a medical setting, there's often a lot of resistance. And, you know, I know Dr. Khan has reflected to me numerous times that, you know, in her like conventional medical setting that she still works in, people will sometimes kind of look at her like she's a little crazy or a little out there that she's doing this work with psychedelics. And, and sometimes conventional medicine still doesn't really know quite what to make of it. It seems like um, therapy, like mental health is kind of accepting this a little bit like easily. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think in the conventional medical setting, yeah, there's, there's still resistance. So those doctors and nurses like yourself that are like really pushing forward with this are super brave and super powerful. But I know that these bridges that we're building with each other are like what is going to make a sustainable and accessible and actually effective really? model and system for all of us in the future. Can you tell us about your education and your background? 
So my background is uh, I'm actually a current graduate student receiving a, a master's in marriage and family therapy, and I'll be done in two months. Congratulations. So I'm excited about that two months until this is over. And, you know, I decided to do the marriage and family therapist um, graduate degree because I specifically wanted to work in psychedelic therapy. When this movement like started to gain some traction, I saw what was going on and I really quickly understood that I had to be able to build a bridge. I couldn't just be coming from my alternative health background, which is relatively strong. I've studied um, Ayurveda at the Mount Madonna Institute. I've studied theta healing. I have three or four yoga teacher certifications, meditation, like I have a lot of alternative health in my background, as well as my own studies with herbalism, folk herbalism, and and my own journey. Working to heal my own body naturally is really how I've received a lot of my education. And of course, my own experience with psychedelics is where I draw everything that I do. You know, I've been working with plant medicines and psychedelics since I was 13 years old, which is relatively young. So my consciousness has pretty much developed like in harmony with these plants and medicines. Uh, Alex, can you tell us, um, cause I can't wait for this story and I'm so excited. Can you tell us where you were born and just give us the background of who you were as a child and then we'll um, talk, kind of move into that. Uh, okay. So I was born in Well, I was born in Massachusetts, but when I was eight years old, I moved to rural New Hampshire and my earliest memories from childhood or some of my like most pleasant earliest memories are definitely growing up in the woods in Massachusetts or New Hampshire and like being out, you know, at the Creek in our backyard and pulling apart skunk cabbages or pulling the bark off of the birch trees and like making potions and you know, I just remember like the smell of those plants and the lady slippers, flowers in the forest that would sort of like pop out of nowhere and were so beautiful and mystical. And I feel from a pretty young age, I was definitely very um, attracted to the natural world and kind of like dreamy and creative. Uh, that was definitely like an aspect of my personality, pretty like exuberant. Um, and then when I was about eight or nine, <clears throat> I was put in one of those like gifted programs for children. So that I think actually ended up becoming like a trauma experience. I can go into that more later, um, but it's been like a big thing that I've had to heal this way in which it's like a perfection, a perfection trauma. It's like, you know, I think that our current, I think that our culture doesn't really know what to make of those of us that are more in touch with like like the spiritual, mystical, supernatural side of life. And what I found in my experience is that like it became categorized as this like academically gifted thing, but like my true gifts weren't necessarily like nurtured. There's a way in which our culture doesn't really know what to make of people who are eccentric or in tune in a different way. And yeah, I think I've carried that from a pretty young age. Oh my God. I love that you said that. Thank you so much. I, for anybody listening, I think that they can look within themselves and see that part of them that they did bury, that they did pack away. It definitely happened in my life for sure. And I spent my lifetime um, ignoring it, thinking that, you know, there's that saying that women feel like they're not enough, but there are also some of those women that feel like they were always too much you know? So it's like, we're never going to be accepted um, as a bright light or eccentric. It was, it was just too much. Yeah. I definitely fall into the too much category. (laughs) (laughs) You are now that's amazing. Okay. So then what happened then your first experience with psychedelics? So God, what happened? So when I was, yeah, I think about nine years old, I moved to New Hampshire, again, still many memories of being in the woods, being in the forest, like going through the trails, like sitting quietly outside, things like that were really called to me. And when I was about, I don't know, maybe 13, I, my first psychedelic experience was actually in the bathroom of eighth grade. And I had already started smoking weed. I'd been doing that for a little bit. And I remember this girl uh, somehow I had arranged with her. I don't know if I should say this actually on the podcast. 
<laughs> just don't say her name, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I've never really told this story that much. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> what happened is this girl sold me some LSD in the bathroom of my eighth grade for like five or $10. I don't know where I got the money. And I took it in school and, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes later, I left school. And I think that was the first time that I officially like left school. You know, I was in eighth grade, so it was pretty young. And my experience wasn't really anything to write home about. I still, to this day, don't even know if that LSD was like actually real or I was having a placebo effect. Uh, but something liberated in my mind in that moment. And I realized that, you know, I didn't have to stay confined to what I was being told I had to do. Uh, and I was going through a really difficult time at home and with my family. And from there, from that first experience of LSD, I like took more LSD and, and mushrooms and all of this and started to like really experiment with plant medicines and, something liberated inside my spirit where I realized that I could really create my own reality. And I became even more deeply in touch with my own like brand or type of spirituality. And I started to see, this was the kind of dangerous part. I started to see from this really young age at 13 and eighth grade, how limiting and confining this system was that I was being pushed through. And what I was being told I had to do, and you have to show up at school at 7.20 a.m. and sit there all day and do all this homework and listen to all of these like classes that are basically irrelevant and completely uninteresting. And for me, were quite boring. <clears throat> so, yeah, I could just see that I actually didn't have to do that. I could I had my own mission and I had my own path to walk. And I just sort of started walking it. Then I ended up dropping out of high school when I was like 16, 17 years old and getting my GED and starting college early and later like rebelled against myself a bit, you know, and tried to like straighten out. So there's been this dance my entire life of, you know, sort of like delving into the plant medicines and finding this new way and, you know, allowing myself to walk this unconventional, non-traditional path. And then this like counter, like rebellious side of my true nature, that's trying to like get me in line and control me and is telling me that like, I'm too much. And, you know, I need to have a regular job and da, 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 and do better and make more money. And it's been this really funny, interesting dance of, you know, co-creating this reality with everyone where we are allowing ourselves to work with plant medicines. We are allowing adolescents to have consciousness expanding experiences that get them in touch with their soul and their spirit from early in life so that we don't have to be 50 years old and selling everything and changing everything and getting sick and all of this, you know, in order to get in touch with our soul and our spirit again, we can do it from the beginning. Oh, I so. love your story so much. I also um, remember doing LSD at a young age and uh, had a, a similar experience. And I dropped out of high school too. And then I oh, you did. Yeah. And then I, in 10th grade. And then what happened was I moved to Kauai when I was 16 and then was about to study Ayurveda as well. And then I was pregnant with my first son, which took me, instead of studying to become an Ayurvedic practitioner, went to nursing. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, this is like, I love that so much. It feels so good. And I know it's almost like the whole frequency of like our connection just like shifted, just relating on that story, you know, because there's not that many of us that like yeah. decided to just very, it's like, it's hard because in the medical world to say that you dropped out of high school, people are like, what? Like you <laughs> didn't come from this like perfect family. You didn't have this perfect, you know, trail here. And I didn't. And it, I also, and I don't mean um, to take away from your story. I'm hoping that I'm only adding by sharing mine, yeah. but I, 
I also struggled with that. And I was like, okay, I got to make a lot of money. I got to be the best that I can be. And it wasn't until I really started to dive into my own healing that I, I started to have to embrace the light and the too much and the eccentricity and the deeper healer that I finally recognize within. There's a difference between spending 15 years as a nurse and finally knowing that you're a healer. You know, that it's crazy. And the only way that I got there was through psychedelics. And so it's just been such a a beautiful journey. Oh, I love hearing you share that. Yes, 100%. I feel like I resonate with what you're saying that through through my healing journey is how I've been able to like find self-acceptance. But quite frankly, I would be lying if I said that I have like arrived somewhere in terms of, you know, my understanding of self and my acceptance of self and my, you know, journey through my own healing. Like, absolutely. It's such a big job. Yeah. (laughs) Like we're always going to have a new trauma response come up. And I'm glad you said this so that we can point that out. And the more you live in our experience with this practice, the more um, humility you really bring forth, because you're always going to have a new trauma response that you got to work through. You're going to, you know, and it, it never, I haven't met anybody who has really, really arrived. They're just the best people on this path are just more and more humbled as they go and full of more and more love and more and more gratitude. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't seem to end. Like just when I think, you know, maybe I've turned a corner or this pattern is complete or whatever, it's, it's not something always triggers a deeper level of work. And what I am finding is that I do see that the more inner work I do, the more healing I do, the more it is reflected in my outer reality. And the more my life resonates as authentic to me. That's one thing that I am seeing. And that's one thing that I do feel like has been a real tangible shift from where I was, let's say 10 years ago to now is that, you know, the more I've rooted into this, it's like, okay, today, for example, like last night I was in a trigger. I was in a trigger last night. It happens. We never know when they're going to come up for me. They're all the time. (laughs) (laughs) but I was in a trigger last night and I decided at like one 30 in the morning to take uh, this mushroom honey that I have. It's a micro dose or like a mini dose. I was like, okay. Cause I'm like, I'm doing my normal trigger thing that I normally do for a while. And I'm like blaming someone else and I'm taking it out on them. And you know, I'm not taking responsibility for myself and my own emotions and my own feelings. So finally at one 30, I'm like, okay, I have some tools here. Let's try something different. And so I took just a mic, it's a very small amount, you know, just a microdose and sit in meditation and take out my drum and do some singing and some chanting and like really sit with myself and really shift my vibration and, you know, get all the way into the deep work. And I remember at one point I was really worried because I was like, it's getting late and I'm in this trigger and I can't, fall asleep. I don't know if I'm going to get a full night's sleep and I have all this stuff to do tomorrow. And then at a certain point, I reminded myself, Alex, the thing you have to do tomorrow morning is to be interviewed about your work with psychedelics. It is okay to be fully and 100% in your authentic process and in your authentic expression of self. Like, this is what you're working for. This is why you're doing what you're doing. So if it's not okay for you to be like up, like wailing and, you know, on mushrooms at two o'clock in the morning, then you're not doing like, Oh my God, that's so beautiful. I'm so (laughs) grateful that you shared that. I have a little sister that's really struggling with addiction and I was trying to help her out recently. And and this is to speak to your value of authenticity and where she's coming from is a place where she really, really, I could see she values beauty and what other people thinks of, of her. So it really made me, the whole experience was a trigger that I learned and grew from. And what I understood was for the first time, I absolutely fell in love with the my perception and my value of authenticity as beauty. And I never could have seen it as, oh my God, I just want to celebrate how I and you 
really value healing and authenticity because some people just can't get there. And it took me to kind of work with someone who couldn't get there to go, oh my God, I love what I, what I, what it is that I have. Yeah. There's something about like authenticity. So those of us working in that realm, what does that mean? That means that this 99 year old native woman with the wrinkles on her face and the love in her eyes, that is, that is uh, just the essential perfect example of beauty or, you know, someone um, dying of prostate cancer, but dying at peace. You know, these are, these are authentic beauty and not any page out of any magazine. And so there's just so much, um, I have so much love for the people that are willing to continue like yourself to get on this podcast, get completely emotionally nude and to tell your story there, because like, this is, um, this is how we heal. You know, this is our humanity. Oh, I'm feeling your heart so strongly right now. Yes. I feel like we're really hitting on something and it's, it's so hard, you know, it's really so hard to come out of the comparison and the judgment when we live in a world, especially as women. I mean, and I'm sure that men feel it too, but I'm not a man. And so I don't know exactly what they're going through, but I know that for women, there is so much comparison and there's so much judgment and there's so much expectation on how we're supposed to look and how we're supposed to be. And, you know, social media just exacerbates all of this with the filters and the makeup and the plastic surgery and the this and the that. And it's like, if there's anything that I value, it is authenticity. It's realness. It's rawness. And that is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I know I have to like continually remind myself of that, you know, I'm not perfect, like by any stretch of the imagination. Like I do not live in a fairy tale life. Like I don't even know if I'm living my best life, to be honest. Like I don't know what timeline I'm in or whatever. <laughs> I'm in the highest one or the one under that, or like some bottom one. <laughs> I have no clue. Like I'm just showing up as authentically as I possibly can in like my messiness every single day. Mm-hmm. And, and not everybody's going to do it. Not everybody is going to be loud, be honest, tell the truth, you know, get courageous with their vulnerability. And so those of us who even feel any of our listeners, those of us who even feel a little bit of that inkling to tell the truth more, to get raw, to get vulnerable, the universe is asking you to do it because we need the people to, to lead the way. And that's, and that's how we lead. It's, and it's uncomfortable you know, to step up into what the work you're doing. It's not the easy route. This is not the easy route. You know, it's almost to be fully honest, like it's almost uncomfortable. And I'm just getting like really honest. It's, it's uncomfortable to even be doing my job, you know, at the healing center and to be legally offering psychedelics. Like it's, it's an edge to have to step into that and to even have to think about all of the things of, okay, like, what am I going to wear? How am I going to be perceived? How do I make sure that I'm appropriately holding space for people staying out of fake shamanism or, you know, neo shamanism or whatever? Like, how am I, how can I really hold myself in my truest authentic expression in every moment and love and accept myself in the moments where I feel messy or I feel like I'm not doing it right. Or I feel like, you know, one of the biggest things that I struggle with is whether I feel smart or not. Do I feel intelligent enough or not? You know, am I, am I going to get the answer right? Am I going to get an A? And uh, yeah, it's, it's, we're on an edge, you know, collectively doing this work. And it's like, I'm being asked to bring my whole complete self Mm -hmm. into my job. But I'm like, are you sure, (laughs) you know, are you all sure that you want me to bring my whole and complete self? Like, am I sure that it's fully safe to bring my whole and complete authentic self here And I think that's a question that I've had to ask myself over and over again. And I've, you know, had to do a lot of work to, to feel in my body that it is safe 
to be here. It is safe to be my authentic self. And I have to give a lot of credit to, you know, my best friend and lover and life partner, Anthony, who, you know, we've been doing our thing for four and a half years. And he is one person who has really showed me that no matter how messy I am, or, you know, no matter how eccentric or unique my processes or the way that I walk in the world, like I am safe and it is okay. And it is beautiful. And to have that reflection from someone is so powerful and so supportive and so necessary. And quite frankly, I don't like, not everyone is getting that in the world. You know, not everyone has that mirror that is saying like, yeah, you're wild and you're crazy and you're weird, but like, it's okay. And I love you. So the more I think we can just do that for each other, you know, whether it's on social media or on a podcast or on just walking around out in the world, the more that we can just hold that candle and hold that flame of it's okay to be authentic. You know, the more that we are making it, like you said, okay for other people to do it. Yeah. And there's days like, I really appreciate this conversation because I feel like I, I too know that it's a late sign of me not doing my self care if I can't fall asleep. And so the more, you know, the more you even have the capacity to judge yourself for being like completely broken and not good enough. And so there's, that's always going to come into play that, especially in the psychedelic uh, field and, and the work that you're doing is how much self-forgiveness can we really bring forth? I really like to talk about Sam and Frodo in the Lord of the Rings because Frodo is the one who like drops the ring in the, in the uh, lava and Sam is the one who loves him the whole way through. And, you know, he gives him his last drink of water and his last bite of food. And I really love this example in psychedelic work because we need to cultivate our own inner Sam. And sometimes we need to borrow someone else's in the beginning, whether you're struggling through trauma or addiction. And it's just such a, a beautiful thing to keep coming back to that, that inner loving being. Yes. 100% secure attachment to self, you know, secure attachment to self. So many of us have anxious attachment or avoidant attachment. And I, I personally tend to err on the side of an anxiously attached person because of my own trauma in my family and my upbringing and being a runaway when I was really young, being kicked out of my house when I was 15 years old, that makes a pretty anxious attachment system. You know, I've been running for a long time. Mm -hmm. And for me in so many of my journeys recently, and just, you know, I think a month or so ago, I went into a psilocybin journey really with that intention of it's time to make a really full, secure attachment to myself to really feel that self-love, to be able to be my own cheerleader, my own support person, you know, to, to, to be able to self-soothe, to, you know, be able to just come back to myself, to come home to myself, to be home in my body. And there's a lot of talk, like when we talk about attachment systems to finding a secure partner or what to do with your avoidant partner, what to do with your anxious partner and da, 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 da. But you know, there isn't as much about what does it look like to create a secure attachment to ourselves? Wow. And that's really difficult work, especially for someone who's anxious or avoidant. That is so beautiful. I'm so glad you brought voice to that. Yeah. Because in the psychedelic world, that's, and that's what I think it's doing for us is um, really helping us see how important that is. And that you're right. It's something that hasn't been on the table as a, a, a need to heal. Everything else has been our family, our relationships, our work, our, our emotions, but not necessarily that inner loving being. And there was a lot of talk for a long time about, oh, the, the, the higher self, I'm in touch with my higher self. And it's just not even a, a language that I really like anymore. It's, um, you know, I really, really like that, that inner loving being instead. And it, it, it isn't higher. It's the loving being that will love you in the darkest of times. It, you know, it's not this, I always know the right answer all the time. No, it's the one that forgives you for every mistake and teaches you from them. 
you know? Yes. It's that forgiveness. And also I think what I found in it as well is it's a way of taking our power back and, you know, really tending to that fire inside ourselves. And I feel in the psychedelic movement, this is really, really important to talk about because so many people, myself included, fall, you know, quote unquote victim or find ourselves in situations or are actual victims of, you know, psychedelic abuse, of sexual assault in psychedelic communities, of, you know, covert abuse, of, you know, neo-shamanism, just getting kind of led in the wrong direction. And, you know, even as the clinics are opening, there's potential for this. And what I see, what I'm, what I'm trying to bring up when I talk about this is because of Christianity, right. Or religion in general and religion, we're asked to give our power over to something else, to give our power away to something else, to the church, to the faith, to the religion, to whatever it is. And that program of giving our power away follows us into the psychedelic realm where we give our power away to the guide, to the shaman, to the therapist, to the center, to the clinic, whatever. We're constantly giving our power away, even giving it away to the medicine itself, giving it away to psilocybin, to the MDMA saying, this is the thing that's going to heal me. This is the thing that's going to make me better. I need this. Like I need a journey, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it's not that it's not that the shaman is not going to heal us. The psychic is not going to heal us. The therapist is not going to heal us. We need to do that work inside ourselves from a securely attached, grounded, rooted place. And yes, we can utilize plants and tools and substances as support mechanisms, but they're really only effective if we're doing it in full awareness of our own power, of our own power, and we're not giving our power away. And I speak to this because I've seen myself do it. And I consider myself to be like such a sovereign, independent, like liberated human sometimes. (laughs) So I know if I'm doing it, other people are doing it too. And, you know, of course I'm running a ketamine therapy clinic. So I want people to come to our clinic and experience, you know, what we're offering and what we're doing, if it feels supportive and valuable to people. But I also want to say that it's not a requirement, you know, it's not a requirement for, or it's like, I just want to help people understand that even if you are going outside for support, it has to be coming from this like rooted grounded place within. And I think with my clients and in the work that I do, I just always want to guide people back to themselves. And if anyone is ever making you feel, or if anyone has ever made me feel like I need them or I'm not good enough, or they're not validating my growth in my expansion and they're making me feel like I'm still not enough and I still haven't gone far enough and I still need more and more and more and more. That's really a red flag to me that, you know, that person is no longer facilitating or supporting my healing. And I really need to come back to myself. So hopefully that, that resonates. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm glad you said that. Now let's maybe take it to the forefront of helping others because this is something that I'm doing like, you know, I have a, my brother's here staying with me now and he's kind of struggling and we're getting him up on his feet. And in, on one hand, it's really nice to be like, okay, I'm on this place where I can help, but I can, um, as you get to this place, you really understand when your energy is aligned and whole for you and your path. And then, you know, I want to be a person who closes my eyes knowing that I loved as hard as I could, but I also can really clearly see the difference of, you know, giving away from a place of um, overflow and reservoir. And it's really, really a constant struggle. So when you're in this role of the work that you do and you give, because you want to just be that giver, even at the office, because you believe in this and you believe in them and you want them to believe in themselves so much. And, and then you go home at the end of the day and it's like, 
you know, our own practices. It's just a, a daily process. So I don't know if I'm ever going to figure it out. Yeah, that's a big one. I think those of us that are in this sort of like helping profession or healer archetype or role, we really want to help. You know, we really, really, really want to help. We want to support others in their healing, in their personal liberation, in their, you know, reclamation of sovereignty, with their health, with their mental health. You know, we really, we want to help. And I think most of us, I'll speak for myself at least, I know I am really driven by a desire to help and support the collective, mm-hmm. the whole, everyone, mm-hmm. you know, like I want to help, I want to help this mess that we're in, you know, and help untangle it. And I've dedicated my life to doing that, you know, to doing everything that I can and using all of my, you know, life force to, to assist in this shift that we're a part of and, and assist consciousness in moving forward and, and consciously evolving. You know, we've done quite a bit of unconscious evolution mm-hmm. and I think we've all had enough of it. <laughs> this time, this dark time of unconscious evolution is not getting us anywhere good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to help the collective and I want to help myself and I want to help the future generations. And so how do we have healthy boundaries when we're mission driven? Mm-hmm. And, you know, helping includes not only our clients, but our family members, our friends who are constantly calling us and asking for advice and support and need us in some way. It's a tough one. You know, it's tough. It's tough. People are always going to be needing. And I've found that I think the most important thing is that I am making sure that I give to myself and I take care of myself. And then I have more um, like grounded, rooted energy to give to others. And then, but the other piece too has been like extricating myself from relationship dynamics that were draining. It's a hard process, but if I had had relationships that I could, you know, when someone's draining you, when someone's draining me, I'll speak for myself, I can literally physically feel the energy leaving my body. I'll feel like headachey. I'll feel tired. Like I just won't feel lit up or inspired or expanded. And I think that I've had to learn over time that when that sort of dynamic is in play, I need to create more space and distance so that I'm able to do my work in the world and I'm able to fulfill my mission. And through that self-awareness, I'm able to see where the places are that I can support others that are still healthy for me without having to just give too much of my energy away. Yeah. And in this world, um, I feel like we've come up with all these terms lately in this, in this age of like, okay, well that's a narcissist. And, and this person, you know, is gaslighting and we have all these terms that are bad, bad. So we've divided what's good and what's bad. And it looks like black and white, but the truth of this life is that nothing is black and white. And so I just, it just speaks to the fact that it is a daily awareness of uh, who am I now? How can I love? Um, how can, what's best for me? Did I do a good thing? How can I use my community to help support that? For a while, like people that were suffering, I really felt I had the understanding that, you know, we're quilted together. So we're, st- I'm stitched to these people. How could I be okay? You know, when my parts of my family, the, some of my relatives are not okay, but I did a large mushroom journey to, in order to heal because I really was having a hard time with that. And in the end, I, what I, and I don't know how, if this is the answer or this is just the answer for now, but in the end, I, I knew that I, it's a choice who we stitch with 
Like we do not have to feel like we are quilted and stitched to the, the people that can't move from their dark place right now. So that uh, we can continue to try to, like you say, choose the relationships and stitch to the, to the as healthy as possible. Is it going to be perfect? Are they going to be not having a gaslighting response all the time? No, you know, but it's just funny to watch all these. We just like to blame and um, create these words and this logic when life is just so much more of a rainbow. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that like, we all carry that light and that darkness inside of us. We do, you know, narcissism is a spectrum. Definitely. Abuse is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so many of us have come from backgrounds where there's abuse and toxicity. And so we do play out those patterns consciously or mostly unconsciously until we become aware of it and shift it and change it. And it's hard to become aware of it. It takes a long time and it takes radical responsibility. So can, can you give us an example of like, I know that for um, patient confidentiality, so this could be a friend or anything, um, but a story of somebody else who was really able to move through some of that um, darkness and kind of get to um, the, their next evolution of themselves. Yeah, let me think of if there's... Because I, I know ketamine therapy, I've, uh, and it's just amazing. And in combination with um, the work, it's just incredible. Lifting that default mode network and getting to that, who we are is just amazing. Um, and it isn't always a fix-all. You know, it's definitely not a magic pill. It's But there's many of us who are out there right now who are doing the work that exhaustively trying to feel better. They're exercising enough. They're eating exactly a vegan meal or doing everything possible. And it's for those that sometimes just that little bit extra of the removal of the default mode network where complete magic happens and in is what I've seen. I've seen some pretty remarkable things with my clients. It's their stories to tell, but I will talk about my own experience with grappling with darkness. And I have a ton of it. <laughs> I've had a long, like interesting life. One of the biggest files that I've been confronting in myself lately has been anger. Anger is something that so many of us have, so many of us deal with. It's become so normalized in our culture and in our society to be angry, to yell, to throw things, to call names, whatever. I didn't even realize that my anger was something that would be considered like toxic or abusive or because it was so second nature to me. You know, I had grown up in an environment where there was a lot of anger displayed. And so to me, that was just how you communicate with the people that you love. <laughs> when you get mad, you flip out, you know, you scream, you throw stuff, whatever. Uh, that was, you know, what was normal to me in my reality. And I allowed that pattern to play itself out for almost 35 years. <laughs> I guess it, it didn't really start for me until I was like 11 or 12. And so, you know, maybe like 22 years or something like that, that I really played out this anger file. And it was through a solid year of doing therapeutic MDMA journeys and psilocybin journeys, and also a lot of therapy working with an incredible trauma therapist who was able to help me unpack this anger file and really see it for what it is and see the effect that it has. And it's funny because I feel like the hardest part of the work is in becoming aware of the program or becoming aware of the pattern. And then once we're aware of it, we can shift it a lot more easily. Now, that's definitely not always true <laughs> at all. But in my experience of anger thus far, the process of becoming aware of it was really long and arduous and really challenging. And then the process of shifting my response to anger, you know, I'm not going to say it's completely healed, but I've made a lot of progress with it. And I used a technique called heart math. Have you heard of it? Yeah, they, use, they have these meditation techniques where we shift our focus and attention to the heart and evoke feelings of appreciation or compassion 
or some other positive emotion while we're in the throes of anger. And at first I was kind of like, this is way too simplistic. There's no way this is going to work. This is ridiculous, but it actually did. And so I spent, you know, a few weeks or something doing these meditations multiple times a day, going through the book, like really sitting with my anger, working with my anger, feeling all of the sadness that was behind it. Once I got through the anger, there was like a flood of tears, like flood, like just like buckets of water were pouring out of my body because often anger is just a symptom of sadness or grief. So then I had to process through all of that. And, you know, I still get angry. I still feel angry, anger at times, but I react to it in a different way. I'm still, I'm still on this journey with it. I'm still, I'm still working through it. I'm still learning a lot about anger and how it functions, but I will say that once I was able to release myself of it and more so once I was able to take responsibility for it and understand that like, this is my pattern and I've done it in many different relationships and many different dynamics, so much more of myself was able to come into the light. So much more of my own power was able to be expressed because I wasn't wasting all of this energy on anger and blame and, you know, toxicity. I was like really pulling that back in and and reclaiming it and able to transmute it into other things. And my life has evolved really quickly in the time since I've taken responsibility for that in a much more positive direction. Yeah. I've really seen how taking full responsibility for our darkness can have a massive effect. That's amazing. This is what I would like to clarify for anybody listening is that you speak of files of us, some parts of our emotional being and as files. Can you tell us the, how you see the benefit as thinking of it that way, that, that perspective, because it may be really helpful for people to be able to do that for themselves. Yeah. So I talk about like files, programs, and patterns. And when I think of a file, this is actually a term that I got from uh, one of my mentors and past therapists, Mihai, who's awesome, does great work in the world, definitely helps me change my life dramatically. He calls it files. That's where I picked it up. When I think about a file, it's like a, like, it's like a file of memory. And when you open up that file, let's say it's, let's say the file is abandonment. And in the file of abandonment, there's just pages and pages of memories of all of these times when you were abandoned. And maybe there's like one big memory, you know, there's like just one big photo in the middle of the file. That's like the most dramatic abandonment wound, or, you know, let's say the file is self-doubt and there's, you know, pages and pages of memories of times where you're, you know, you were doubted or you felt like a failure, you felt like you weren't worthy or whatever. So that's what I'm talking about when I refer to files. It's, it's sort of like a bigger emotional or mental concept that is filled with the experiences from our lifetime. We get to them in many different ways. And we generally have to unpack a file and reorganize it a few times before it's fully cleared. It's not quite as easy as just like dragging it across the desktop and into the trash folder. (laughs) Although it would be great if we can develop that technology and maybe we're working on it. We are definitely uh, pushing the envelope with our work with Theta Soma, Theta brainwaves and somatic experiencing and ketamine therapy. We're trying to figure out like, okay, how can we, how can we do this? How can we just like drag the folder so that, you know, we can get through because we have a lot of people um, on the planet, that have a lot of work to do. <laughs> It'd be great if we had yeah. more technology to do it. And I just want to like give voice to the fact, like that sounds great, but there, and there are a lot of women, I hope that they're listening that um, judge themselves or compare They're They're still in that place of comparing their own trauma where they won't even accept or give space to a file because they're like, well, mm-hmm. my file's not as worse of a thousand other women that I know. I'm not going to go there. It takes a big step to even realize that. So I really like the way you um, conceptualize that. You've learned to do that. That sounds really 
really neat. I just want to encourage everybody to just keep on going one step at a time. And all of us go through days, really bad days and really hard times. And, and it is just such, such a teacher. So keep going. Your pain is, is leading you in the direction of um, your healing. Yes. And you know, like trauma is really a spectrum. And for, for example, for so many years of my life, I thought like, well, I'm not traumatized. I don't feel like I'm traumatized. Like I, I didn't experience X, Y, Z thing. You know, I gratefully, you know, haven't been raped in my life. I've had some, you know, more, I've had some sexual assault situations for sure. And some very uncomfortable sexual experiences and some probably dangerous sexual experiences. But I remember thinking for so many years, I don't have any sexual trauma you know, that's just not something that I've had to deal with. And I told that story to myself, you know, because I know the stories of people who, you know, have childhood sexual assault, Mm -hmm. rape experiences and all of this, like really deep, big traumas. And so I was, yeah, sort of invalidating my own experience because I didn't think it was as bad as someone else's. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is that it's relative Mm -hmm. and certain things that I've experienced or certain ways that I've maybe utilized my sexuality for survival or, you know, whatever. We all have our own way that we have learned how to survive as a result of the experiences experiences that we've had in this lifetime. And some of those survival mechanisms include experience of experiences of trauma, even if it was almost like chosen trauma. Mm -hmm. in a way, things that we chose to do, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it still can create disorganization and disruption in our body and in our mind and in our nervous system. That's keeping us from having truly healthy, connective, intimate relationships with lovers or partners or friends or family members or whatever. So yeah, don't invalidate your trauma and your experience because every single one of us has a whole can of worms to unpack and it all has to be looked at. It really does. And I'm just wondering about accessibility for your um, community clinic. What is that looking like now and where are you guys hoping to go? Yeah, that's a great question. Accessibility is definitely on top of our minds. And currently we've been really working with our clients and doing sliding scale so that we're able to make it work. We're offering payment plans so we can make it work. We have a therapist coming on board who's offering to, uh, who's offering to offer her psychotherapy services for free to some clients if they need it. So we're really finding ways to cut down on the costs. There's like a lot of talk out there and criticism of like the cost of the ketamine clinics and centers. And I know being on my side of the fence, how incredibly expensive it is to get it up and running and how much work and energy is going into getting these doors open and getting this medicine out to people. So I understand where the cost is coming from. And I also understand how important it is that we balance that out with accessibility. So yeah, if people live in Sacramento or Northern California and want to make their way to Shamines, we're definitely able to work with people and, and find a way to make it work because we want to get this medicine to you and support you. Thank you so much. And is there anything that you'd like to touch on for anybody um, struggling out there? Um, do you have any advice to just get to the next hand that's reaching to them? Or <sighs> I think the only advice I have is to take a breath. And I know in some moments it feels really hard. Some moments feel really hard and really confusing and super challenging and emotional and overwhelming. We're struggling, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm struggling at times. Everyone's struggling out there. Mm -hmm. Stuff is hard. And the one thing that brings me back is my breath and trust in my path and in my purpose and really deeply believing that that moment will pass, you know, really deeply believing in that, that this intense emotion, this intense experience is going to pass. And 
there will be brighter moments ahead. I know that's oh, there is a light at the end. Just keep going. And I didn't really believe that. advice, but yeah, just like keep breathing, you know, keep breathing, just breathe, 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 and like keep going. It's gonna yeah. get better. Yeah, and we are our own greatest healer. I love that you um we you spoke to that and I'm really grateful for having you on and I'm I'm so excited for your work and to hear all about it. And thank you so much for getting so vulnerable and, and telling your story. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And I could really feel your heart in this podcast and I feel what you're doing here and how much you care about your audience and the people that are listening to you. And yeah, you're, you're doing important work and holding a light for, you know, all of us, for everyone who's listening to help, you know, just keep us going, keep putting one foot in front of the other and validate each other and normalize the healing experience, you know, and make us all feel, you know, just seen and heard. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. We are almost at 40,000 followers over on TikTok. So please head on over to TikTok and look up Bones of a Nurse, where we talk about psychedelic wellness, history, healing, and transformation. Thank you so much for your love and support.